0: Welcome to episode three of Turnstiles and Tribulations. Today we are going to discuss the Arsenal playing Leicester at home and the 4-2 win. We're going to go over a little bit of the Premier League weekend as well, although obviously Liverpool Crystal Palace has not kicked off at the time of recording. We're also going to talk Fantasy League as well. We're going to look in, see where mine and Chris's teams are, see what is happening now that a couple of games have gone on, what is moving and what is shaking within the world of the Fantasy Premier League. You can hit us up on all of our social medias at turnstiles underscore tribulations on Instagram, or you can find us on Twitter at AFC turn underscore trib, or you can just look us up on Facebook. We're at turnstiles and tribulations on there. So do like, do follow and do engage with us. If you want to hear us talk about something, if you want to ask questions, or if you just want to make a flat out statement, go for it. That's where you can find us. Good morning, Chris. How are things?
1: Very, very well, my friend. I'm looking forward to this episode today to talk about the Arsenal and the non Arsenal related news, which is um interesting <laughs> as well. It's been an interesting I mean, weekend,
0: right? I can see the the smile on your face already for that and and I, we we could almost just go yeah we beat Leicester 4-2 we've got six points on the board <laughs> let's talk about Man United but we'll um we'll leave <laughs> we'll leave it a few minutes and we'll that come back be to the, that uh,
1: the dessert for the you know after the main course of Arsenal
0: <laughs> indeed indeed um so yeah Chris tell me about what you thought about the game Arsenal 4 Leicester 2 at the Emirates on Saturday
1: fantastic result, fantastic performance, is how I'd sum it up. Really um, keeping that intensity from the first game, keeping that control from the first game, but extending it. I think we spoke last time and said that we only really had 25 minutes of control Mm -hmm. and then we sort of let the game dissipate a little bit against Palace.
0: Yeah,
1: But against Leicester, I thought the control was there and I thought we turned a corner a little bit and improved in that part of the game. And there were so many outstanding performances individually, which I'm sure we'll come to. But as a team, a fantastic rounded performance. Uh, it's just ticked so many boxes for me uh, and just left me really impressed again second week Yeah. What about yourself? What were your thoughts?
0: Yeah, very similar. Uh, I was watching early in the morning over here and... I was thrilled, genuinely thrilled with how well we played uh, across the pitch. There wasn't like only a couple of people played well. I mean, certainly some people had really standout games, but the team is playing well. The feeling around the team is very good. The feeling around everything Arsenal at the moment, to me, I mean, yes, we're in it, we're living it as a fan. But to me, everything just feels really good right now with all of the external stuff be it transfer window be it all or nothing just everything feels good right now so to get the win was really really brilliant the gameplay throughout like you say we had control we had periods where it slipped a little bit but it wasn't the end of the world and i guess we'll come on to that once we start really talking about the game but yeah all in all mate i'm a very happy Guna. and um yeah, I mean, we can dive in if you want. What did you think of the opening exchanges? How do you think that kind of played out for us?
1: Opening exchanges, yeah. We had a, a little bit of a worry, right, at the start. There was that um, chance that Fafana had yep. when uh, I think Xhaka lost the ball under a little bit of pressure.
0: Yeah, he was a little sort of a little out. sleepy there. Yeah,
1: um, Sidestepped Saliba and uh, got his effort away. Uh, it just made me... I think it made everybody just aware of the danger. It, it's sometimes nice to have that when the opposition doesn't score from it. That just that little wake-up call straight away that this is a dangerous team, whatever plan you've got, um, remember that this team has, has got some, some decent players and can do some damage on, on the counter as well. Uh, but then after that, we really took control of the game, didn't we? And um, there were some really good performances some really good link-ups especially on the left side of the pitch and that's I think the biggest um, takeaway I think from these first couple of games about how big this left side bias is Yeah, um, Poor because... Obakaya
0: Saka, like all of a sudden he's been excluded <laughs> from playing, he's like the person that they won't pass the ball to
1: is isolated a little bit on that right side, barely touching the ball, yeah. but uh, I guess his his role will change a little bit and the reliance on him that we had is going to change a little bit. And that's that's nice. That means that I'm sure he'll last a little bit longer in the season. His his intensity will be able to to keep at a higher level. And I'm sure over the course of the season, it will change a little bit. And there'll be moments when he is really involved in games. But this left side with the stacked um, ball retention players and the, the stacked... Um, outlet players with, with Martinelli and Jesus drifting there and Zinchenko coming inside and Jacka and everybody just piling and overloading that area. And these great little combinations were getting are fantastic. And yeah. I think that's where the, the first game, the first uh, goal came from, right? It does. Those little combinations on that side.
0: It is. I mean, I've got a few notes on on that left side as well. Martinelli for me was, you know, could easily have been man of the match, even though he didn't get two goals and didn't get two assists. But the work that he put in, and so yeah, it was down that left side. He travelled into that far left channel, just by the box, and I think even the ball kind of might have even squirmed away. I could be wrong. uh It's been a few hours now since I looked at the goals, so the ball gets away, and it's you think that the chance is dead. You you watch Arsenal last year, and you think we're in a place where we're going nowhere with that, but. The ball ends up at Jesus' feet. And from out of nowhere, he hits this chip, which somehow he doesn't even, if you really look at the goal, it doesn't look like he gets really under the ball. He's almost got a little bit of that Erzul kicking down on the ball thing, that little knuckleball thing going on. Maybe it takes a deflection, but I don't think so. I think it's all Jesus. And he just lifts the ball up from the mid-left of the area into the top right-hand corner. And I was in raptures. I was That was the heavens opening, the light shining down on Jesus. <laughs> and it's like, this is what Arsenal needed for a long time. We, we know we've had a couple of good uh, strikers over the last five, seven years. But we've not had anything like what Jesus is now bringing to the party and... Mate, I was dancing around the place with that start. And like you say, the left-hand side played a huge role in it, what Martinelli did in the build-up, Zinchenko. I think Xhaka was even involved in some of the build-up. The uh, the goal, though, was just sublime bit of skill in a place where Arsenal, if we had the ball there last year, you would think that we're having to play that back out of the box to just whip in a cross that goes to no one. But now we're scoring.
1: Yeah, it really is an incredible finish. Absolutely incredible finish when there's no space to get a, a shot away that's low, and when there's no space to find up find somebody with a pass in that position, it takes a real intelligent player to decide to lob the keeper from there. Mm-hmm. To see it and then to execute it is really incredible, um, and he's he's looking like a complete striker. He really is, because obviously we'll get on to the, like the different goals he scored, but he can do everything. He's, he can do that poaching job. Uh, and The second goal was a bit of a, a, a poachers finish to be on the end of that um, cross, the, cor- the corner that came across and the, the flick on header. Great assist he by Vardy. These...
0: <laughs> I, again, I he's, like he's one. one of my favourite players, so thanks I for the assist like there, one. pal.
1: Yeah, um, um, but he, he can score all sorts of goals and... With you know, with all all feet, with both feet, with header, yeah. Um, he's just an incredible player, incredible specimen, and the dribbling, the execution of the passes and his link up play, everything this kid can do is is fantastic, and it just reminds me of having a player like Alexis Sanchez who's willing to take the game and dominate it, but a player with a completely different attitude to what Sanchez has, somebody who's a team player rather than just an individual. So he can have these individual moments of brilliance and score these epic goals, but he's also, you know, modest and humble. It's just this incredible combination. And I'm, I'm really excited about what he can do, not just for the rest of the season, but for his, for his Arsenal career.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I have watched Jesus a, a fair bit when he played for City. You would obviously watch him in the games against us and I would probably watch City in the the big games against other big opposition where you think it's going to be an entertaining game. But there's this weird narrative out there at the minute that he wasn't trusted or he was rotated a lot um, or that he moved around a lot. And as in across the front line, that is, which that part is true. He did play right, left, central, but that's just the way City play. They move people around a lot to be unpredictable. But this idea that he didn't play too much or, you know, all the games, City don't do that. City have two first 11s that they'll mix and match throughout the season to have a chance at winning as many trophies as possible. But Jesus was one of the few players of which there are only a handful that would play often and would definitely play in the big games, regardless of whether he played a big game, you know, earlier in the week. So... I don't like this narrative that he you know wasn't utilized by city. he absolutely was, and he's come to us though, and already in the two games of league football that we've seen, he looks like he is relishing the opportunity. He looks more of a player than he already did at City, and he already looks like a really good player to me, and like you say, the fact that he had the the guile to create that goal you know, and the audacity and the vision to hit that top right-hand corner and, and get it past the keeper. The fact that he had that poacher's instinct at the back post off the corner that was flicked on nicely by Vardy. He did score a lot of his goals for City on that back post as well. So it was great to see that happen. But yeah, I just want to move away from this narrative that he didn't play too much. He was an important player, but he's going to be an even more important player for us. And uh, that's a really good comparison, actually. I hadn't really thought about Sanchez and so on, but yeah, I think you're uh, you're spot on, and with that one difference that uh, Jesus is very much a team player and humble in a different fashion than what Alexis was. So uh, very, very excited with with what he's doing since he arrived already.
1: Yeah, that that position he took up for that second goal, the corner. Where he's in that back post. I think we mentioned it on the first podcast or maybe on the second last week about how many goals he might score from that position. Um, even from open play, with you know, Martinelli cutting in on his right foot from the left and drifting the ball over to the back. He does peel off to that back post a lot. And that's where good strikers will go to score goals. That's where the ball's gonna end up. Unless you're gonna get across your man and the ball's gonna come in low. You're going to have to drift off towards the back post and he's just so um, intelligent with his movements and he's going to pick up a lot of goals in those sort of positions. Um, do you want to discuss the, the, the other couple of goals as well and then get well, his performances? If,
0: if you don't mind, I just want to tack on to that where you're talking about the space and so on that he finds himself in. Even when he's crowded by defenders, he's strong if you look at the chances, the chance against Evans where he he turns him and shrugs him off and sits him down, unfortunately um, he gets uh, tackled just as he's about to try and get the shot off, which would have been his hat trick if he'd have managed to get that one in. But there were so many instances where, you know, he's not this big strapping striker of a person, but he seems to be very, very good at moving his weight around moving from one foot to the other and just dancing through players while being physical with them so I think you know I don't want to get too ahead of myself but he has a very strong package and the more confidence that he brings the more he learns while he's with us hopefully you know there's no ceiling for this guy he can really really do well so I just wanted to throw that in on top of uh, the plaudits you were given there um so yeah you were talking there about then moving on to the other goals. So I have something maybe to bring up before we discuss the Xhaka goal. So while watching the game, I was considering the positions that Xhaka was getting into and the effect he was having on the game. And I'm sure you probably picked up on this. There was a ball through by Partey where Xhaka was the man down the middle uh, in the first half and he got onto it. I think he got uh, knocked off the ball though. But I thought there and then, like, what is Xhaka doing in that position? And then there were a few other bits. He had the header that was just on the post and a couple of other times where he's in the final third or even in the box with a shooting opportunity. And I'm like, Granite Xhaka is not Aaron Ramsey. Why is he there? And Aaron Ramsey missed plenty of opportunities too. But uh, I was like, what is he doing there? He's not known for goal scoring. So I just wanted to throw that out there before we then discuss the Xhaka goal. <laughs> <So laughs> I, I just had to put that out there because I, I I was. I was very confused by this. So before we jump on to the Xhaka goal, is that position being held for somebody else? Or is that what we're now going to do with Xhaka? You know, are we going to work and try and develop him as someone who's going to arrive... A lot like what Smith-Rowe does. Someone arrives on the scene and then puts the ball in the back of the net with a one touch. Is that what Granite Xhaka is now going to be bringing to the team? And then we come to the fact he's in the penalty area. Jesus says, Nick the ball after Ward has spilled it. And he slots in a, a tap-in from eight yards.
1: Yeah. I think Jacker is playing the role that Arteta wants that player in that position to play. And it may not be his natural game, and it's not the not the natural game that we've seen from Xhaka while he's been at Arsenal. But I think he's a player of high football intelligence. He's a player who comes across as somebody who will be a manager, possibly in the future. But a player who really understands what the manager wants from him and he's willing to do this role that's maybe not quite in his comfort zone, although I think he has played further forward at times for, for Switzerland. But he's making these runs and these movements to get into the positions that Arteta needs that, that left eight to get into. The issue comes in that I don't think he's great in the execution when he's in the box. Although he did get his goal, and we have to give him some credit for that. Yeah. Um, and he also had a the header right at the start um, from that cross. He burst in towards the back post and got got a header away. Yeah, but generally, I don't think he's great at executing it. But it's great that he's willing to play that role for the team. Now, whether that, like you say, is being reserved for somebody else, and whether that's a position that in the future we'll sign a player for, whether that's the position that Fabio Vieira is gonna gonna play or Emil Smith Rowe. When he's in the team, I'm not sure, but I do like what Xhaka is doing. I do like the positions he's getting himself into. Yeah, and maybe he will get himself a few goals from from getting that position, and maybe he'll prove uh, prove me wrong. Maybe with the with the execution and the um, the quality that he shows technically to, to to get shots away and to score goals in that position. Well, if maybe he will over the course of the season,
0: if he has as many chances as he did in this game. Yeah, the the obviously the more chances he gets in goal, the the more chance he's got of actually scoring one. And yeah, I think uh, it was just something I wanted to touch on. Like I say, I know he scored, so it's a bit of a a put down when he's gone and put one in the back of the net. But for me, I just felt like, oh, is this is this a tailor made position for Smith Rowe? But are we then, if we if we put someone like Smith Rowe there, are we then handcuffing him to this? maybe not quite as attacking position as he might normally play, or he was playing last year. I don't know. That's uh, that's one for, I guess, discussion once the season develops and once we do see maybe some rotation. Hopefully not because of injury. Hopefully it's just because we have a wealth of players to play in these positions. But uh, yeah, I just thought I'd throw it out there. But uh, I think the other thing, obviously we should roll it back one minute and 40 seconds from Granite Xhaka tapping in that uh, that goal to William Saliba who did nod home what was also a lovely header um but he did nod it into the wrong end past uh, Ramsdale what did you what did you think when that happened and we went 2-1 at that time
1: yeah that was unlucky for Saliba he got himself into not a great position and was chasing back uh, and was was unlucky with where the ball ended up, I think, with the header. I think it was a little bit of maybe of miscommunication with him and Ramsdale of who was coming for that ball. Uh, and unlucky for him on his home debut to have to go through that um, disappointing moment. But it was incredible to see the response from the crowd that then he was cheered every single time he touched the ball. And there was that, um, pulling together behind him, which you know you expect no less from the Arsenal fans in general, but for this player especially who we've waited so long for and we've got such hopes for, um, and I don't think there's any division over how good we think he could be and how we want him to succeed. Um, so maybe it was with the result going our way in the end, a great moment for him to to see what sort of support he has from the crowd. Yeah, what what I will take it back to though is. The same issue we had in the Palace game with not putting pressure or correct pressure on the central defenders because if you're going to leave a lot of space in behind, you cannot give players who can play long passes loads of time to make them. And we gave Johnny Evans all the time in the world to, to take touches, to get his head up, to set himself and then to, to try and put that ball over. And I think it was for Vardy. I can't remember exactly who was he was running in behind. But if you're going to play a really compact structure and have um, defences squeezed up really high and attackers playing a little bit deeper, then you, you're going to have that problem because teams are going to be able to play over the top of you. And if they time their runs well, um, they're going to be in dangerous positions. And that's what led to that goal for me. It wasn't... You, know, you can look at Saliba's header, maybe it wasn't in the right way and you can look at the communication, but it starts with me from the attackers at that moment, just switching off a little bit, not quite being in the right position, not forcing um, Evans onto his weaker side and allowing him to play that ball over. That's what causes us the, the problems.
0: I Yeah, I agree with all of that because I do have some sympathy for our attackers because you can't close down all of the time so I guess it does have to be the odd occasion where it's like right we have planned and we've brought in a couple of really big guys to be our centre back so if we do hold off and we do allow balls to come in we've got a couple of big guys that can hopefully challenge up against a Vardy or whoever it might be going in and behind because if Saliba didn't get his head on that I think it was going to be Vardy getting on the end of it and it was unfortunate like, like you mentioned you could criticise the technique, the direction and all that. The really funny thing for me was, I think within a minute before that, he headed the ball clear out for a throw in, uh, middle of the half. And I just thought to myself at that and when it was 2-0, oh, I really like Saliba, he's just no nonsense. He just gets rid of the ball, He just doesn't faff about. (laughs) So clearly it's my fault for thinking that. And uh, I thought it, like you mentioned, with the crowd... Um, and Ramsdale's reaction immediately getting up, uh, patting him on the back and just saying, look, we, we move on. He bought that goodwill with such a good performance last week against Palace, for sure, plus the fact that he's been on our books for so many years. There's been that anticipation to see him. So, yeah, it was great that the fan base is in a harmonious place to build him up instead of try and tear him down. Uh, so that was really, really good to see. The other thing for me was even though that goal had gone in, I genuinely didn't think, oh, we're 2-1 now. Oh, what, what's going to happen? I was just full of confidence, full of this good feeling that we have got right now as a fan base. Just like, that's fine. I, I, I'm not worried here at all. Leicester have had the odd opportunity, but they haven't threatened. And we've had a hatful of opportunities. You know, Jesus should be on four or five goals by that point. So I... Felt confident still at that point. I don't know about you.
1: That felt like an an, an anomaly. That was hard to say. An anomaly. We'll keep that in. Yeah, please. An anomaly. An anomaly. Um, that felt like the anomaly because they didn't really, it didn't feel like they deserved that goal. It didn't feel like they'd worked for it or broke us down or were causing us that many problems. They did have that one other chance. Um, and we'll have to mention the penalty shout from Vardy when they played the ball uh, through over the left sort of left back sort of slot uh, and Vardy ran in behind, Ramsdale came charging out. I don't know what your thoughts were when that first happened, but my initial reaction was that Ramsdale had made quite heavy contact with him because the look on his face was one of guilt. <laughs> it, it, it looked like a goalkeeper who had thought, ah, uh, I fucked up there a little bit. Uh, I shouldn't have been charging out there. And it looked like a little bit of lapsing com- concentration from from the defenders and from Ramsdale. Um, so I was surprised then when, you know, looking on the VAR that there, there wasn't really any contact at all.
0: That does surprise me that you thought that because I thought a little bit differently. When he came out, I did think not enough for a penalty. I thought if there was contact, it was barely anything and that Vardy was uh, trying to buy it by kicking Ramsdale probably. And I actually thought Ramsdale was very calm in the aftermath of it. He didn't lose his cool. He didn't go nuts. I think he knew quite happily. I didn't touch him here. The AR has to go in my favor. Right. So it goes upstairs. And then I hear the, the words that no Arsenal fan wants to hear. Mike Dean is on VAR. And I was just like, oh, God, he's going to probably give a penalty and send him off and then send off Jesus just because. And I was shocked. Obviously, you see it. You're like, there's no way he can not overturn that. And thankfully, you know, that's the case. It, it gets overturned. But watching the replay... I actually think Ramsdale was quite aware of where he was, what he was doing. He has a moment's hesitation with about two steps to go before he closes Vardy down, makes the move to go to him and try and get into him. And at the last minute, I think he has made that calculation in his brain. Okay, the way we, the position we are in in the penalty area, the direction he and the ball is going, I'm safe here. I'm backing out of this challenge now because. I know that he is not going to do anything and I'm going to be smart enough to not give away a penalty. So I personally thought uh, he outsmarted Vardy there and he backed out and that then left Vardy in that position of needing to try and kick out, going over and diving and um, us now getting VAR decisions, which was mental.
1: The, what, not for the books? Yeah.
0: Well, now that we've got two City players playing for us, I was, I was thinking, oh, you're about to find out what it's like to not get all of the calls going for you now. But uh, yeah, that was, I, I want to give Ramsdale credit. I think he pulled out with a split second left because he did know where he was, what was happening, and that it wasn't that big of a threat. So I, I want to give him the credit for that personally.
1: Yeah, I'm not so sure. I think he was, I think that area of the field because he was. I mean, it's right on the almost at the corner of the box, wasn't yeah, it? That he it came out yeah. to. I don't think he needs to be out there because I think there was a defender covering who was who was close enough to chase him down, and I think Vardy would was, was going to take a touch away from that area, so he's going outside the penalty box anyway. I don't think you need to be rushing out there unless you're going to come and claim the ball. And if you're going to come and claim the ball, then you've timed the run right. You've you've had a really good starting position. We've not seen the starting position because of the, the TV cameras. But uh, if, if you time those things right and you get the ball, I think you can give the keeper credit. If you come out and you're a step short in that area, I think there was a rush of blood to the head. And I don't think he should have been out that far. And I think we got a little bit lucky on that one, if I'm honest.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. I do want to wheel out the Jacometer. I coined the phrase last week, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. The the Jacometer of a clear and blatant dive that Xhaka gets a yellow card for in game one, but Vardy does not in game two. He doesn't get a book in for that clear and blatant dive trying to buy a penalty. Just want to bring it up if the premier league are listening and uh, you know, you want to maybe teach your refs to have some sort of consistency, that would be a good place to start. You've even spent time looking at it on the TV. So you could say, no, he dived. Oh, hold on. I think there's something in the rules about diving and simulation and that we're supposed to book them. You know, if we can just get those messages of communication out there, that would be fabulous. (laughs) So yeah, that's the Jackometer on, uh, on that incident. Um, Shall we roll on a bit further into the game?
1: Yeah, well, I think I mean I think we discussed the Jacker goal. We did, so we're kind we're probably, of 3-1. We probably should go to the uh, the second Leicester goal now, should we? Yeah, um, because that was a again, I think showed a little bit of a defensive naivety, maybe some issues with positioning, mm-hmm. um, because the the ball comes down the. Our left side again. Zinchenko's very high up as, he's, as is his job. He was reasonably um, narrow as well. It, exactly. And it just leaves space in that area for teams. Um, and then you've got that kind of uh, little overlap by the Leicester player. And then the, the shot which Ramsdale uh, lets through his legs or goes through his legs. Um, I'm not sure where you think the Blame lies on that one. What was your thinking on it? I
0: think that we did get pulled out of position just a little bit. The fact that Zinchenko is running one way and then the ball goes in behind him and he has to just, he's he's not moving. He has to just stick out his leg backwards in hopes that that cuts the ball off. Uh, And then when it comes to Madison's shot, I think he just absolutely cracks it. And uh, he really does fire that ball Very quickly past Ramsdale. After seeing Ramsdale's reactions to his performances on All or Nothing, Ramsdale is going to be annoyed that he didn't react quick enough. And that is probably where I would put it as well. I think that he could maybe have reacted a tiny bit quicker, but I don't know that even if he had reacted to his absolute maximum, if he was stopping that shot, to be honest, I think that was just. A good shot from madison i think he, he just gets it in he absolutely smashed it past him
1: yeah he's pretty close when he takes that shot and i think with with goalkeepers there's always a tendency to think if the ball's gone through their legs that they've made a mistake but that position to set yourself is going to give a little gap there and if the the striker hits it cleanly at that pace it's really hard to close that, that space because you're trying to make yourself as big as possible right you're trying to cover as many angles as you as you can and if you can react and get your leg out in front or your hands down great but you really want to cover as much of the goal as possible and I just think it was a really good strike and a powerful strike yeah um the the problem for me lies more in the the fact that they got in that position in the first place than with with Ramsdale was a sort of error yeah um but i think the, the way that we're set up with Zinchenko playing, like you say, narrow and, and high, there's going to be space sometimes in that area. And we have to just be able to recover a little bit quicker. Maybe Saliba could have come across, uh, you know, slightly quicker. Um, but it was just an area to pitch where there's going to be some space and we have to try and deal with it a little bit better when it's in there.
0: Saliba comes across and then maybe there's space created down the middle. So the ball goes there instead of to the overlap for Madison, but um, yeah, I thought well done to them for getting that goal. It it was a it was a well worked goal, and I think yeah, I think Ramsdale maybe wanted to go with his hand and was caught in two minds of do I stick a hand out to this or a foot, and that may have cost him the split second that might have given him the chance to save it. But like I say, I think uh, give Madison a little bit of credit. That was a a well hit effort. So it's three two. Leicester probably feel okay, we're we're back in the game again here. We've we've done this once. Let's not slip up again. Cue Gabby Martinelli to put the cherry on top of his own cake as well as the team's cake. Um shortly after the restart, Leicester have the ball and he just so delicately nicks it away from them just inside the Leicester half and lays the ball off. And then he takes a second. He's like, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to run for this. And I I don't know if you've noticed as well in the replays or during the game itself, he is then gesturing for the ball the entire time after he's given it away. He's like, I want it. I want it. I want it. Comes to Jesus. who's like, you want it? You got it. And Gabby hits a really calm effort. And that's what I liked about it. You know, we all love those shots that are going to rip the back of the net off. From 35, 40 yards. Those are always great when they happen. And when Partey finally does do that, I'm going to go berserk. But for me, the fact that he rolled, not rolled, isn't quite the right word, that he stroked that in to that right hand post very calmly, that was just a new level of maturity from him. And I was so, so happy because he's worked really hard in this game and the previous game. And he's he's off to a, a flying start of this year's Premier League.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. That's my favourite goal by, by a margin, I think. I, I like the, the, the Gabby Jesus goal, of the first one, because it's fantastic technique. But this one for Martin Le to chase back, to win the ball at that point in the game when we needed somebody to, to do that, and then to sprint. And he runs past two or three Arsenal players to get into the position he does. And like you say, demands the ball, takes a really good first touch out of his feet and and then places it in that bottom corner of the left. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I really hope that he can get himself a lot of goals this season because I think his effort will, will deserve it because it was a fantastic finish. Yep. And, Everything about that goal is the way that we want to play football, and the way that Arteta wants to play the the intensity and the press to go and win it, and then the intelligence to to make those good movements, and then the quality to finish. It has everything that goal. Uh, and like you said right at the start, I think he was a candidate to be man in a match. If if Azus hadn't had four goal goal involvements, <laughs> um, it would be hard to take it away from from him for that. But. In terms of effort and overall performance, you cannot fault Gabby Martinelli in that game. He was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, he had a great game. And fingers crossed to see more of it, to be honest. And from there on out, we didn't get troubled again. Not that I can recall. Towards the end of the game, we we held on quite nicely. I think Jesus had another opportunity after that to try and get his hat-trick. And it just wasn't to be for him at that point.
1: Yeah, that was the Bakayo Saka shot when when Saka finally oh, that got guy. the ball that guy <laughs> in the sort of uh, last few moments <laughs> uh, shot across the keeper and it came to Tezus and he had a chance at that point to get his hat-trick he probably had three decent efforts to get his hat-trick if not four um, yeah. after he'd got the two goals yep. um that you'd really fancy him to score mm-hmm. um but I mean he's in the right position to, to to be there but again another one that was um a shot across goal and there he is again at the back post looking to try and put it in but um, sadly couldn't that time
0: yeah and then the roundup for my part is we just talked about him there Bakayo Saka and one other person who I'll throw into this same category as well Martin Odegaard those two players didn't have bad games but they didn't have uh, major involvements or they weren't the person to lay on the final ball for example and in a way, this is really, really good that we're in this position because last year, if Bakayo Saka or Martin Herdegard didn't have a good game, that was our, you know, our result hinged on them. And already, and it's only two games in, but already they haven't had explosive games either of them. But we've done really, really well, and we've won the games without relying on their input, which for me is exactly where Arteta, I'm sure, wants us to be, to not have to rely on one or two people. We do obviously need to have them firing and on form from the days where Jesus isn't going to score a goal or Martinelli isn't going to score a goal. So if we can get that balance right, this is just such an exciting time that we're two games in. We've got two wins. In fairness, we haven't played the toughest opponents just yet. But you can only beat what's put in front of you, and right now we're doing that. And I wouldn't say we've hit top gear yet.
1: No, not at all. I think that, I think there's more to come, and there's more players to come as well. You've got Smith Road to come back and, and play some more minutes. He, he came on towards the end. Faber Vieira when he's fit, um, and then Eddie, who, who looked lively when he came on. Um, there's players and there's depth now, so it's an it's exciting time for us. Um, I wanted to bring up one thing I saw or I heard after the game and get your your view on it. Um, they were interviewing Gabriel Jesus at full time and they they mentioned about the couple of misses that he had. And he said that when he went in at half time he'd called over one of the coaches and got the video up <clears throat> and watches and watches his chances and the chances that he's missed at, at half time. I was really impressed by that yeah for for a striker to have that um humility i think a little bit to to say halfway through the game can i have a look at these chances that i I think i maybe should have done better on and maybe just analyze where i've got wrong and try and improve that for the second half yeah you know it's fantastic off their own back and maybe that's uh, another thing that Arteta's brought in this this culture, maybe, or maybe it's from his his time at City as well. But this culture of um, taking responsibility. Um, but I thought it was fantastic to hear that a player would go out of their way to go and do that halfway through a game, not at the end, and then you know think about for for next week I'll try and improve. But after two goals at, at half time to think you know that wasn't a perfect half from me. What can I do to improve it? Is fantastic.
0: People interpret things all the time in different ways and that's that's life and one of the beauties of it. I think credit has to go to Arteta and Gabi Jesus because Arteta is trying to instill that accountability within the team. And I think one of the main reasons why he would have wanted someone like Jesus is because he will push us on a lot. You know, the term is being used. He's pushing us on to the next level. Same with uh, Zinchenko and so on. And that's exactly it. He's gone in and he's not happy that he's only got two goals and he wants to have a quick look, maybe even chat with one of the coaches about, you know, what, what do you reckon here? What what should we do? Because he wants more. Two isn't enough. That, for me, is the absolute right attitude to have. Even though we're 2-0 up and at that point in the game, you know, we looked like we're doing well and we did do well. I That is hunger. That is desire. That for me is exactly where we haven't been. And, you know, when we have those games in the past where we're 1 0 or 2 1, and we've allowed those last 10, 15 minutes to get nervous and to have equalizers scored against us. With his kind of mentality, we're never going to be caught in the position where an opponent can catch us back up with five minutes to go. And I love that. I think that's absolutely brilliant. You mentioned as well, just before touching on that, obviously Enketia came on and he looked sharp, which he did, and he could have nearly had a goal too. And the other thing that, again, is just a a real huge advertisement for where we are going and what we're doing right now is the fact that we started the game without our first-choice left-back and our first-choice right-back, but we were in a position to bring them both on, late on in the game to get them some minutes as they come back from small knocks and injuries. And again, that is something we probably haven't found ourselves being able to do in a long time, but that shows that there is a good amount of depth there because we've got two deputies that have done a really, really good job. And then we're able to bring in the main guys for the last 10, 15 and both of them look solid. Tommy took a, a cynical yellow for, for the cause. But, uh, all in all, mate, really, really happy with everything that's going on. The desire, the hunger, we've we've got it all going for us right now.
1: Fantastic, man! Yeah, it's all looking really good. So we go on to our next game, and like you say, we've 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 got a decent run of fixtures here. We've got Bournemouth up next, away, and then we've got home matches against Fulham and, and Villa. So there's no reason why we can't keep this keep these good times rolling, and put ourselves in a really good position at the start of the season rather than playing catch-up, which we, which it feels like we end up doing <laughs> every season. It feels like our our starts of season can can put us in some bad situations. But to be up the top at the start and then to try and drag ourselves along with some of these top teams, it'll will, it will be an interesting ride.
0: And speaking of terrible starts to the season, stand by because we're going to get into... Manchester United and what is going on there. So stick with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Looking to the rest of the fixtures from the weekend, elsewhere across London, Manchester United travelled all the way to Brentford, a foe that we know only too well, and they got battered. 4 Chris, go for it.
1: Last week, I was full of praise for Ten Hag and I thought that he was going to be the man to turn it around and I thought that actually, although they'd lost, he was the right man for the job. Now, I don't want to be reactionary, but but his, <laughs> but his plan, his idea for that Brentford game was about as wrong as you could get it and it it ended up being one of the most hilarious halves of football uh most most enjoyable halves of football that's non arsenal related i've ever had um i had an absolutely lovely 45 minutes watching them flounder around
0: i text you uh, what was obviously halftime. I, I was out and about at that point. I had no idea what was going on in the game, and to be honest, I'd forgotten even that they were the later kickoff. So I texted you, and I was talking, talking Arsenal result, talking podcast things, and your response of just how happy you were that of what was going on without telling me the score. So I, I said, "All right, hold on here. Let let me have a look. Let me let me see this for myself." So I opened up my phone and I checked the score. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, my response to you in text was in all caps, holy shit. <laughs> uh,
1: there's no correction needed because that's exactly what you said, mate.
0: <laughs> I Yeah, I, I watched it later on in highlights only. And you're absolutely right. The In your messages at the time, And I've even, funnily enough, I I heard or saw someone else liken it to exactly the same thing. It was like watching an under-9s team try and play out from the back. There was no desire from the Man United players. There was no hunger there. There was no being on the front foot. There was no proactiveness. They did also look set up in the wrong fashion. They looked all over the place. They really, really did. And one part in particular that I picked up on, which... I said thank you for was Lissandro Martinez and I'm not digging him out for being the worst player or anything like that but he got bullied in the same way that we did on the second goal when we played Brentford away last year on the corner where they kind of pinned Leno down and were holding us back in the box he he is someone that we clearly and seriously wanted and went after and we ended up with Zinchenko instead, which I've said from the beginning between you and I, that I always thought that was better anyway, having someone that's played Premier League. And he was a known quantity to to me anyway. I hadn't really watched Ajax enough to know anything about Martinez. But boy, oh boy, are we lucky that Man United decided to blow us out of the water and spend 60 odd million on him. Because right now in this moment, that looks like uh, not a very shrewd
1: buy that matchup was completely wrong, absolutely and completely wrong. And he should have known, you know, with the amount of coaching staff you have, with the amount of analysts you have, the amount of prep they could have done for that game, all the focus is, you know, for, for them that week is is on getting ready for, for Brentford and what Brentford are going to bring. And you know what they're going to bring because you know who their main man is up front. You know that Tony's a dominant target man. Um who can bully, he can bully any centre-back, but he can certainly bully a five-foot-nine centre-back um, and out Who's jump.
0: fresh into the league as well. That's the other thing, right? And that's what I mean it, by exactly. I don't want to dig him out. He is new to the Premier League and for a lot of players, there are very few that come from abroad and can immediately do it in the Premier League, regardless of what position they're playing.
1: Yeah, I, I think he will be a good player and I think he is a really good player. If you think about where he would have played for us um, if he if he came in instead of Zinchenko, would have been a different area of the field and he would have had G- um, Gabriel behind him doing that job as centre-back and he would have been playing slightly um, higher up the field, slightly narrower, maybe combining stuff. Um, and I think he could do that job if Man United wanted to do that. But to play centre-back and to play centre-back at the expense of Rafa Varane Who's, I don't know, six foot four has won however many Champions Leagues and can deal with a physical presence up front and is intelligent and, and fit enough because he came on for the second half was absolute madness for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but all over the pitch, Man United are a disaster. Let's not just pick on Lissandro no, Martinez. E-
0: exactly. I didn't because- want to pick on him, but I thought I'd link it because obviously we were interested in him that was solid that was yeah. a player we could have had turning out for us
1: so um, but you know to start with fred as the six is insanity you know that he can't play out from there you know that that's not his game um to start again with um sancho in a wide area who's been just so ineffective and has just lost all confidence and lost all form he's been anonymous again, at united I think he's a good player, Sancho, and I think yep. he might come good, but he's not a player who at the moment I'd be starting uh, over anybody because, he, you know, it's like, um, you know what it reminds me of? I don't know if you've seen Space Jam. Which one? You, the Space original Jam. or the new one? Let's not talk about the new one because yeah, the new okay. one is not good, horrendous yeah. by all accounts. But in Space Jam, you've got all the um, NBA players, Patrick Ewing and Muggsy Bogues lose their talent right mm-hmm. and it all goes into that ball that's what man united feels like it's like all the players have touched the ball and <laughs> all their talent is just drained out of them
0: i did want to make special mention of a certain dear friend and pundit of mine uh the little twerp as i called him last week gary neville <laughs> and i know what you're gonna say here just the whole like he threw his toys out of the pram weeks ago but just the fact that he had the wherewithal to say about Arsenal last year. There's no plan. I can't see their direction, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Look at us now. Look at us even back then. There was a plan. You were just clueless and just saying random things because you don't know what you're on about. To see him distraught as he is right now, having on-screen arguments with Jamie Redknapp, who's pointing out Incredible. to him that your team is is terrible. Having Twitter arguments with Jamie Carragher, who was calling them out for the fact that you know you were all talking now about the Glazers, but you said nothing while uh, while they were paying you as an employee of the club. I just absolutely love the fact that Gary Neville is probably sat at home crying still, and that that brings a lot of warmth to my heart.
1: <laughs> for fans of um, football from our generation, we've seen United dominate for so long in periods of the nineties and two thousands. It's nice, I think, for all football fans just to take a moment to enjoy this shit show that they've got going on at the moment Uh, and long may it continue. I guess the next um, big discussion point, and I think I see the smile on your face to talk about this one, is the, the big London derby. Uh, Stanford Bridge, where Chelsea somehow managed to throw away uh, a win and draw two all with with that lot up the road. What were your thoughts on not just the game, but I think the big talking point is the uh, little manager spat on the uh, the sideline.
0: The battle of the bridge part two. I had checked the result and saw saw what the result was but I wasn't aware of the fashion as to how it had gone down so watching the highlights seeing what happened um it, it was great it was a very spicy London derby which is exactly what you want to see obviously for you and I and for most Arsenal fans if not all there's no love from us for either side but uh I think Chelsea looked good they looked better than they did last week and they were playing pretty well. They didn't look to be troubled too much by Tottenham and what they were doing. That was what I'd picked up from it to that point. Post-game, you had the handshake without eye contact. Clearly, Tuchel... The everlasting handshake. Clearly, Tuchel, it's all about the eye contact for him while he's doing his handshakes. And... I loved it. I it is great box office. You know the the press after the game are doing their best to try and get a sound bite from the managers but at that point they've had a moment's calm down. Their press officer has chatted to them and said, you know, brush it off. They they know as well. Um but it was it was drama and you love to see it and I don't think anybody outside of the game pundits or whatever should criticize behavior like that because that's what we want to watch football for, drama. So I'll uh, come to the goals and after obviously what Tuchel said about how neither goal should stand. So the first goal is a foul on Kai Havertz in the Tottenham half. The ball gets moved along. They're playing for about 40-odd seconds, something like that, before the uh, the goal goes in for Tottenham. In that time... Chelsea had won the ball back twice by my estimation and had the opportunity to clear it, and they didn't. On the jacometer, wheel that back out, absolutely yeah. that's a foul. Even not on the jacometer, that's a foul. He comes from the back, he does get a touch on the ball, but you can't tackle from behind. That's been out of the game for a long time. It is a foul, but the phase of play has moved on, so we can't disallow it for that as far as I'm concerned. like That goal stands um, and Chelsea should have cleared their lines. They had the opportunity. There's sometimes you just need to put your foot through it every now and then. We did it a few times against Palace last week. We just took the opportunity. Look, just, you know what, we'll clear it and just get it out, reset, regroup, and uh, the ball's better up in the halfway line for the next 30 seconds, and it is over here. And they
1: didn't do that. Jorginho's in the box. He's, he's sort of playing around with it. There's not really an option for him to play pass out. And he tries to, I think, I think he tries to sort of win a handball. He tries to flick it it's not really a clearance, he mm-hmm. just sort of lifts the ball up and it's sort of arm height. Maybe he claims for a, a handball there. But the um the issue I have with the goal is um Richardson's position. Is it Richardson? It is Richardson who's when, is... when the shot comes in. For me he's in an offside position. He is. For me the, the goalkeeper is having to look around him and he has to react to the fact that the ball is centimetres away from touching his feet.
0: So I saw the match of the day highlights of this and they, they love to put their graphics up and they have the field of vision. This is exactly what the the player must be seeing at this time. And Richarlison was barely in that field of vision from where the shot is. And to be honest, I'd probably agree with that based upon how Mendy does dive quite well to his right. But yes, as far as I understand it, that should probably be offside. That, for me, though, I've seen go either way. I've seen it when it's us, and of course it will be ruled offside. And I've seen it when it's gone for everybody else, and it doesn't. Yes, I am Sarah about referees. Get used to it. But uh, I think it is what it is. There's a lot of time for the game to progress after that. And Chelsea had the opportunity to get the ball out. So it's kind of on them.
1: They should do better, yeah. They should do, they should better. do better. But I do think that there, there needs to be a little bit of clarity on that ruling, like you say, because I feel like it's gone both ways with players standing in a position and a shot coming past them. I feel like we had one that was um, disallowed against Leicester at some point or vice versa, but it, it does feel like a ruling that's not really clear and sometimes it can be offside and sometimes it's not. Yeah. you know, if a, if a, If that comes towards him and he jumps over it, is that offside? You know, what? at what point, we know that if he makes contact with the ball, fair enough, you know, he's taken a touch with the ball, he's going to be offside. But at what point is just his presence there uh, an issue? You know, if he steps over it, if he jumps over it, are these offsides? I don't really understand the rule. I in
0: think there. in this one, I lean more towards it not being interfering because I think Mendy had a very clear view of the shot. The only time the ball goes out of his view is after the shot has been taken and when it's on its way past Richarlison, by at this point, Mendy's already diving. It's not like he was slow to dive. Um, so yeah, it's uh, 1-1 at that point. Rhys James, who's in my fantasy, and for this exact reason, gets on the score sheet and blasts one in, somehow weirdly, down the middle. And Laurie just dives out the way of it. But thanks, I appreciate the points and the assist. And then it all kicks off in, you know, added time. My first question, because I've only seen highlights, is was there always six, seven, eight minutes of added time anyway? Was there something that had happened, an injury or or whatnot, or a VAR check or anything? I don't know, um, on in that half to create that injury time. And then secondly, we come to the incidences with the corners. We're in the 94th, 95th minute at this point, and I forget which Tottenham player it was, but the the hair pull on the new signing Cucurella and... It's it was Romero. It was Romero, Sergio Romero, who pulls his hair clear as day, pulls him and pulls him over. And that is enough of a pull to pull someone down and over because that's going to hurt. Um, and Chelsea are upset that then, with the ball being knocked out off of one of their players, that Tottenham get another corner and it's not a free kick for them and then Tottenham score from the resulting corner that comes from that. Now, what upsets me about this is that Tottenham score from the corner thereafter. What doesn't upset me about it is the fact that Chelsea didn't get a free kick. Now, I'm going to go back to a certain player, Diego Costa, and his lovely fingernails on Gabriel Paulista and the kind of tactics that he would employ doing exactly that kind of thing hair pulls, scratching people's faces and clawing at them, and somehow Paulista getting in trouble for it. For me, this is what goes around comes around. It's taken quite a few years for it to, but enjoy that one, Chelsea, because you had players that would do that kind of stuff all the time and got away with it and benefited you to the point of goals. Like I say, the bit that hurts me the most is Tottenham benefited from it, uh, and they do get a goal. But at the end of the day, uh, Chelsea-Tottenham game, I'm happy with a draw. <laughs>
1: that's, yeah. That's all I've to say about it. I don't know whether um, Tuchel was saying to him at the end, look at me while I'm shaking your hand, maybe yeah. in a sort of uh, red that fashion. <laughs> um, you know, he wanted, yeah. he wanted that eye contact.
0: Well, this is it. You know, Conte and Gary Neville clearly uh, are on the same level, just being weasels, whereas Tuchel are red shit houses,
1: but, you know.
0: Yeah, so... The one thing that uh, I did think after watching all of that, though, and seeing all of that messing about and, you know, the dark art of football, that when we end up playing these teams, especially Tottenham, who clearly under Conte are adopting, trying to be re- pretty rough and tumble, um, even in the all or nothing the stuff with our coaches telling the team you know you know that they're going to say things you know that they're going to dive you know they're trying to try and get under your skin son and Kane especially so we just need to rise above that when it comes to us playing them that that was all i thought as well was we just let's again with all these indicators that we're seeing so far of us being on a much better trajectory fingers crossed when we play those teams And they are doing those things to us. We can rise above it. And we have already had the instances in the game where we're ahead of them and we don't need to stoop down to it because uh, we could lose our heads in those situations we have done in the past. I hope that won't happen when we come to play them because they'll try that stuff with us.
1: Yeah, of course they will. Yeah, like you say, rise above it um, and use our talent and and technique because that's what they'll be scared of. Um there's only one more game I'm really interested in discussing and I only really want to discuss it in statistics. Okay. If you don't mind. Go for it. Um so Man City versus Bournemouth. Yep. 4-0. Yep. Haaland mm-hmm. played 74 minutes. He had eight touches of the ball. He made two passes. One of those was from kickoff.
0: <laughs> yeah, not,
1: not I don't have anything more to
0: say. Not great numbers. But one of them was an assist. Yeah, no? yeah, you're, yeah. Not, you're not coming yeah. no, in with anything no, no. with me
1: on that? No, no, but fair. Yeah, one, one of, them, of one those assist. touches
0: was an assist, which in a Man City game is like, oh, great, you got an assist, I got an assist, you got an assist, who cares? I, I again, watched that in highlights only and I'm not worried about it for Man City, to be honest. There's got to be games where he has all the touches and has all the goals. But uh, it was it was a surprise, I do think there were a few opportunities where teammates should have laid the ball off to him. There was one Foden had in the in early on in the first half. And he went for the shot himself and he I can't remember if he missed it or it was saved. And Haaland, yeah, was incredulous that he hadn't laid the ball off and he probably should have. Um when it comes to fantasy, which we'll maybe come yeah. on to a bit more in a bit, that it, it hurt me a bit there.
1: Yeah, me too, mate.
0: But I think I think That'll be fine.
1: Yeah. He'll come good. He'll come good. It's just um, <laughs> a bit of an anomaly that it is. Uh, an anomal- a player anomaly. of that quality would would. Have. Oh, no, I got it right that time. That time, you, didn't you, I? Oh, great. <laughs> a bit of a, an anomaly that a player of that quality yeah. would have such a little it effect is. in in a game. Um, and like you say, um, fantasy wise, which we'll get onto, um, I'm sure next. Painful.
0: stick with us guys and girls thanks for tuning in to episode three of turnstiles and tribulations we do really appreciate the fact that you're here and that you're tuning in week after week and joining us don't forget that you can follow us on our social media accounts we're on instagram at turnstiles underscore tribulations we're also on twitter at afc turn underscore trib we're also on facebook at turnstiles and tribulations so like us follow us message us comment on what we're doing in the shows what you like what you don't like whatever it is we do want to hear it so yeah that's where you can find us stick with us and we will be back we're going to have a look at where our teams are after week two do bear in mind know that we are recording this before the liverpool crystal palace game has taken place so obviously those points haven't been accounted for just yet okay stick with us we'll be back shortly So welcome back. We're uh, in the final stages of the show for this week. We're going to start talking about fantasy Premier League. We can really start to kind of get our teeth into it this week. Now that we've got two games under our belt, more and more analysis can come as the weeks go on. Chris has just opened the app he has just opened the turnstiles and tribulations league which is growing by the way so thanks to all of those who are joining the league you can find the link to join us in show number one's notes but maybe we'll post it up again so if any new listeners want to join in you absolutely can Chris talk to me about the positions in the league where are you where am I
1: um it, all I will say is it was good while it lasted because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was ahead of you. You're now two points ahead of me. Um you're in fourth position in the league on Trophy. 120 points and I am in the Europa League positions on 118, two behind you. Um but obviously there's that there's one big game to go, and there it, is you know, I think everybody's gonna have some players from those teams, so that will have some effect. But I mean we can still talk about the fact that you've um you've pulled ahead of me at this point um with your incredible selections i'm sure who were the players who scored the most points for you this week
0: uh well actually i've just looked at yours because i wanted to see who you've got left to play tonight and you've got obviously Allison, salah and darwin who could all come up big in your game for me and this week I made the fatal error of not putting enough trust in Gabriel Jesus. And I only gave him the vice captaincy. I gave the captaincy to Haaland, who, as you mentioned uh, just moments ago, didn't contribute too much in his time on the pitch other than the one assist. But yeah, Gabi Jesus streets above the rest of the Premier League with uh, his returns on the weekend. And that was basically it. Cancelo and James were my other big scorers of the week. My goalkeeper, Leno, you know, transferred to Fulham and he isn't even starting. What is going on there? Not, I'm not
1: getting on the pitch yet. Is it? And
0: no. to really rub salt in that wound, who did I take out of my team to put Leno in? Dean Henderson. What did he do for <laughs> yesterday? Saved a penalty. So, in the same way that. I had sweet talked you out of James Ward-Prowse, who, true to form, did nothing this week. Uh, <laughs> I sweet talked myself out of Dean Henderson thinking, oh, Leno's going to be starting for Fulham. Uh, he'll probably be quite busy, so he should get lots of save points. And he hasn't even played a minute yet. So that's clearly a position I need to look at because I've got the Leicester goalkeeper who I think is going to be letting goals in left, right, and centre based on what we saw. So, Yeah. Jesus is propping up my side at the moment and Cancelo. I, uh... Yeah, I
1: mean, obviously Jesus got me 19 points as well. Um, Nico Williams was the other one who scored highly for me. Uh, obviously got a clean sheet against West Ham. So that helped helped in the defence, but not huge points everywhere. I was delighted when I saw Mares was starting. Yeah. Because he hadn't played in the first or he barely played any minutes in the first week. I think he came um, on for
0: like two minutes, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh and yeah. Four goals, no impact. Nothing. So um yeah, the city players that I had didn't have the sort of impact that I wanted them to have this week.
0: And he's dropped in price. So already because he didn't play much in game week one and you know, the zero impact as you mentioned, he has already dropped in price from uh, from what is happening there. So for those who do know, players go up and down in value based on what they're doing on the pitch. Obviously, you don't want to lose value of your players because you then lose that value of your team. You want to gain the value. You might then actually have more money to spend later in the season because you've built up a bit of stored value from assets that are doing a good job. I think now that we've had two weeks, there is a good indicator of a couple of players that are definitely ones to watch out for that maybe people will consider subbing in and maybe people will consider subbing out. The few that I have my eye on would be Rodrigo at Leeds, who's got uh, three goals in two games. Uh, Our own fan favourite, Gabby Martinelli, who, for me, I'm looking at seriously to swap in for Martin Erdegaard as... We mentioned earlier, Odegaard isn't quite tearing it up yet. He will. But uh, for now, with Martinelli on form, I'm I'm looking at him. Pascal Gross of Brighton did miss a few opportunities this weekend against Newcastle, but uh, he's a dangerous option and a cheap one too. Kieran Trippier, I think he's a good option. Newcastle with Nick Pope in between the sticks, I think are going to get a few extra clean sheets than they normally would. So those are the players I've got my eye on. The one player who I already nearly transferred in was, of course, Dean Henderson. And I stopped myself so that I didn't make the mistake of, oh, he's going to save the penalty, he's going to score a bunch of points. And then for whatever reason, he'll go and let in five goals in the next two games. And then I'll be ruining that mistake. And Leno would have gone on to start finally and save 10 penalties himself. There's been a bit of noise as well around Josh De Silva at Brentford two goals in two games at 4.5 million.
1: Yeah, Arsenal Academy came through us, didn't they? Do
0: you know what? I'd completely forgotten that. Well done. Clearly, your finger is on the pulse a lot more than me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it now from uh, Football Manager. You're absolutely right. Um, He is... Four point five and could be a very strong differential. Brentford have got a very nice run of games to go and if they can dispatch the likes of Man United as well as they did on the weekend, there's a chance that he could continue getting some returns. There's also the chance that he now doesn't score for another two years. It's uh it's all up there. What are you what are you thinking, Chris? Are you panic stations? Are you reaching for that wild card token yet? Or what are you thinking?
1: I am thinking there could be some changes next week. Uh, I'm looking at Mares, like I said, who hasn't had um, any real uh, point scoring, hasn't had any point scoring so far. And also maybe thinking about moving from Saka to Martinelli just feels at the moment we you know, we've got that left side bias and it feels like chances are, are falling to that side of the field. Um, and Martinelli's had a really good link up with, with Jesus. So maybe I'll move move across there um the big one for me will be get as many liverpool players in as you can because they play um bottom of the league in manchester united um (laughs) next week is Uh, it
0: is it um, liverpool
1: united next week it it is and it's it's that old Trafford as well so i I would love to be there to experience the toxicity
0: gary neville Um, must be considering resigning from all punditry right now and going back to management <laughs> that he must he must genuinely be thinking do you know what I was better at management than than watching and talking about man you oh i did not know that that's okay happy days next weekend's going to be good um that's not a bad shout to be honest uh mares hasn't quite done it yet would you bring in another city player i mean he's mares is what was 8 million he's down to 7.9 already um so that does price you out of a foden and, and someone of that Really? I've,
1: yeah, I've not looked at the prices yet, yeah. but um, I would like to get another City player in, um, whether that's uh, Foden or Grealish or...
0: Well, I mean, Ardell Kevin Silver. De Bruyne did all right, but he will cost you 12 mil. Yeah, um, a little bit and...
1: out of my price range, I think. We, have we had any ideas for our forfeits at the end of the, the season? Because um, I'm starting to get worried already. <laughs>
0: no one's gotten in touch yet. So we talked about this on last week's show, Chris and I, just on our own, whoever comes second out of us two will do some sort of a forfeit. And I can't remember who was silly enough to have suggested it out of the two of us, but we said maybe the listeners should message us on our social media and and let us know what you think those forfeits would be. So if you want to do that, you can do that on... Instagram, you can find us at turnstiles underscore tribulations. If you want to do it on Twitter, at AFC turn underscore trib or on the Facebook page, Turnstyles and tribulations. And yeah, just throw out random things that uh, Chris is going to have to do come the end of the season. As I can already see the will to play vanquishing from him. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it in you already. You're just going to pack it in and just be like, no, I'm not doing it. Um, so yeah, do let us know that. But uh, no, there's nothing in there just yet, and there'll be. Uh, there's plenty of weeks to go. There's plenty of weeks to go, and like I said, I'm
1: confident. You know, if we, if I keep these Arsenal players in the side, I think they'll do. They'll do fine, and then just keep picking three players who are playing against Man United. Yes, you'll be absolutely fine.
0: Yeah, generally, I think you could pick anyone and you'll do well. You can pick defenders, you'll get a clean sheet. You can pick attackers, they'll get a hat trick. Um, also, footnote. Adidas, please do not do a kit as bad as that new Man United kit for us. That's all I've got to say.
1: That, that neon look, yeah
0: that that Sharpie highlighter yellow look. No, thank you. Um, is there anything else on what you are thinking for fantasy? Any other players that are catching your eye that you would like to try and squeeze into your team?
1: I, I was considering after the first week Mitrovic because he'd had. Uh, you know, he, he got those two goals and he bullied Liverpool. He, he was really impressive. Uh, and then he goes and misses a penalty. He does. Uh, this week. So I was I was glad that I didn't pick him. Yep. Uh, and it sort of put me off. I know it's it's not a, a likely event to happen again, but it put me off touching him again. Plus, we played him in a couple of weeks. So um, obviously, he's not going to score there.
0: Well, this is it with, with me and him. He's been in the Premier League before and he hasn't quite done it. He seems to be a championship player he can score a hat full of goals down there he had a great first game of the season up against liverpool and for some reason yeah pulled out of the bag and scored two goals and then maybe this is it maybe he needs to relish a big game to get a good return because yeah i i don't see why you would put him in at the moment i would spend that money elsewhere um i'm looking at changes but I'm not sure where yet I think maybe just one change for me coming into next week and that'll be Martinelli in and Odegaard out like you say we're building down that left side we're looking pretty good there I think I'll save my other transfer to see what else happens and see if there's something else that needs moving around in the coming weeks awesome well Thanks again for tuning in. This is a, a new journey for us, a new journey for you listening to this show. We are obviously Arsenal fans. We do talk a lot of Arsenal, but there are other bits that we hope you're enjoying as well. So please do stick with us. Please do follow us. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. Tell your friends about it, whether they want to listen to Arsenal or whether they want to skip on and just hear the bits about the Premier League Roundup or the Fantasy League, whatever it may be, the more the merrier. We really appreciate everybody tuning in and spending your time with us. As it occurred to me on the weekend, you'd rather put turnstiles and tribulations in your ear than a cotton bud. So do that, I say.
1: <laughs> Is that going to be a, a trademark ending? Uh,
0: it could be. Uh, we could. I could I, I get that. on it first thing in the morning
1: yeah kids don't put um cotton buds in your ear it's not good for you no. nothing bigger than an elbow apparently
0: bigger than an elbow who can fit an elbow yeah, in
1: yeah st- exactly you shouldn't be stuffing stuff in your ears
0: no only put turnstiles and tribulations the podcast by chris and chris in your ears nothing else